All right, you guys seem to be just warming up. Okay, all right, we'll, we'll, come, we'll bring them back, and you, you get to get right back into it. Well, we're in our series, Made for Mission. Now, let me kind of give us a brief overview as we get back to John 20. Now, if you remember Genesis 1, the very first book of the Bible, very first chapter, God creates mankind in his image to reflect his glory in all spheres of life. And he puts them in a the garden. He's like, you can have any, any, any tree uh, to eat from that you want except this one tree. But the day that you eat of this tree, you will die. Well, Adam and Eve, just like good little school boys and girls, they did what God told them not to do. And as a result, they shattered the image of God on their life and they are going to be kicked out of the garden. Well, you keep fast forwarding and they have some children, Cain and Abel. And we see how bad things really are getting because what did Cain do to Abel? He killed him, slaughtered him. And then, then you fast forward and then Adam and Eve, they get together again and they have another child and his name is, anybody remember? Seth. And here's what the Bible says, Genesis 4, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Well, so now you have a track of people that they're going to be calling on the name of the Lord. Everybody else is not going to be calling on the name of the Lord. You keep fast forwarding and then you get to Genesis 6 and God actually laments that he has created mankind because evilness had reached a height that broke the heart of God. And so what he's going to do is he's going to judge the entire earth, but he finds one man and his family, Noah. Noah was a righteous man. God's going to save Noah and his family. He's going to give Noah the blueprint for the ark that's going to save them from the flood that he's going to bring. And so that's what Noah does. He builds this ark in a day and age where it had not rained prior to that. Well, so God saves Noah, his entire household, destroys all of the other people, all the other animals who did not make it on the boat. And then Noah gets off the boat and listen to Genesis 9. This is what God says to Noah. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. The fear and dread of you will fall on all of the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky on every creature that moves along the ground and on all of the fish in the sea, they are given into your hands. Do you see how that is similar language to what God tells Adam in Genesis 1? We want, to, we want you to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And what God is wanting throughout planet earth is his image bearers worshiping him, reflecting his glory in all spheres of life, and in doing so, he will fill the earth with his glory. Well, what we see is that Noah and the human race, they begin to repopulate the earth, but instead of filling and scattering throughout planet earth, they come together in this one place, and they said, you know what, let's build a city here, and let's build a tower that reaches to the heavens, and let's just show one another how wonderful and how great and how glorious we are. Well, God, he's ticked off. He's going to come down. He's going to judge them because they are not doing what God has told them to do. And so there he confuses their language. And so now you have the creation of tribes and nations and tongues and, and people groups. And now they are scattered because of the confusion of the language. They are scattered throughout planet Earth. Well, then in Genesis 12, 
himself. God's going to call a man by the name of Abram. He's like, I'm going to choose you, Abram, and I'm going to make you a great name. And through your descendants, they will become a great nation. And through you, Abraham, all the families of the earth that I've just created because I've confused their language, I have judged them. Because of you, I'm going to bless all of the families of the earth. Well, and so if you fast forward in the Old Testament, you would see that Abraham's descendants, now they become numerous as the stars in the sky, but they're enslaved in Egypt. And so God raises up a deliverer, Moses. He was once a prince of Egypt, but he killed an Egyptian. He had to flee, but God's going to raise him up to send him back to Egypt to deliver his people. And so God does that. No, Noah, not Noah, but that's the other guy, but Moses, he goes and he says, oh, baby, baby, oh, family. Pharaoh, baby, let my people go. That's what he does. And so, uh, so Pharaoh, he has a hard time with it, with the song and all that. And so long story short, God uses Moses to deliver his people. And then a couple weeks ago, we saw in Exodus 19, where God gives Israel their mission statement, that God has redeemed them, God has saved them, God has delivered them. He's giving them a land of promise. And in that land, he wants them to be his treasured possession. He wants them to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation set apart and distinct from all the other nations. And then last week, we saw how God's going to raise up. He's looking for a king. He's looking for a leader, a man after his own heart to lead his people, to keep them on mission. But as you read the Old Testament, you actually see there are two things wrong with Israel. And they are, one, their heart, and two, their leadership. They have a wicked and evil heart. Although God has redeemed them, saved them, called them his, they still have this heart that wants to follow what they want, still that will chase after other gods. And then if you study Israel's kings you will see that very few kings actually follow the Lord and lead God's people to follow him. They don't have a heart that loves God, that leads God's people to love him. And so you're left with this tension like, God, what are you going to do with your people? Well, then he's going to raise up preachers. He's going to raise up prophets. And they're going to declare about a future that God is going to bring. So in Jeremiah 31, you have Jeremiah prophesying, preaching about a future, a new covenant. And listen to these words. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. You see what God's going to do in this new covenant, in this new relationship that he is creating with his people. He's going to put his law not only on their minds, but he's going to write his law on their hearts. But then God's going to raise up Ezekiel, a prophet, a preacher. And here's what he says in 
Ezekiel 36, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all of the countries and bring you back to your own land because they had been scattered because of their disobedience. In verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all of your idols. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. And then I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my capital S spirit in you. And here's what God's going to do in this new covenant. He's going to move his people to follow his decrees and to be careful to keep all of his laws. Then, then you will live in the land that I gave your ancestors and you will be my people and I will be your God. See, here's what God's doing. He 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 has told the people, hey, listen, you have a heart problem. You have a leadership problem, but in this new covenant, I'm going to give you a heart transplant and it's going to be the heart transplant of all heart transplants because I'm going to remove your heart and I'm going to give you my heart. And not only am I going to give you my heart, I'm going to actually put my spirit in you so it will move you. The spirit will move you to follow my laws and my decrees. And so now this covenant though, if you keep reading in the old Testament, this covenant, this new covenant will be be made possible by this Messiah, this anointed one, but just not any kind of Messiah. See, Israel, they were looking for a conquering king Messiah, but Isaiah 53 says, no, this new covenant will be established not by a conquering king, but by a suffering servant, which is why Isaiah 53, he writes, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. By his wounds, we are healed, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of our iniquities flowing from this bad heart now has been dumped on this suffering servant. And so now in the Old Testament, we are looking for at least three things when it comes to the New Testament. And these three things things are, we're looking for a cosmic Messiah king that will come from the line of David. And he's not coming to conquer, but he's coming to suffer for the sin of the world. Why? So that we can be fully healed, so that we can be fully reconciled to God, so that the image of God that was shattered at the fall will be repaired and redeemed and reimagined. So we're looking for a cosmic Messiah king. We're looking for a new covenant. One that replaces the old covenant. And this new covenant, God's going to put a new heart and his spirit within his people to move them to follow him, to move move them to love him with all of their heart, soul, and strength, and to love others as himself. And then we are looking for a time when the nations will stream into the house of the Lord. Why? Because of what God had promised Abraham, that through you, all of the families of the earth, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group will be blessed by your descendants, Abraham. So we're looking for the nations to stream into the house of the Lord. Now we get to the New Testament and Jesus comes on the scene. Uh, Jesus, he's the cosmic Messiah King. Uh, Jesus has come to bring a new and better covenant. And it will be through Jesus and him sending out his disciples where the nations will be reached. And through the good news of King Jesus, the nations will stream into Jerusalem. And then we get 
get to John 20, 19 through 22, where we really see this overview of what Jesus was sent to do. So verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Why are the doors locked? Because they had just crucified Jesus. They had buried Jesus and Jesus, they thought, was dead. Their teacher, their Messiah, the chosen one, dead, was on the scene for 33 years, really for three years doing ministry and mission, now dead. And they're in the upper room and they are scared for their lives thinking that they might be next. But here's what happened. Jesus came and he stood among them and said, what did he say? Peace be with you. And what does he show them after he says this? He showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were what? Everybody say it. Overjoyed. Let me just say, church, that the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. We are gathered here today not because Jesus taught a lot of things. We are gathered here today because Jesus rose from the dead. That's why we're gathered. We serve a risen king. We serve a risen Messiah. We serve a risen Lord. He died, was buried, but three days later, he rose from the grave. And the resurrection changes everything. You can face anything in life because of Jesus's resurrection. It turned the, it turned the disciples from little scaredy cats to courageous lions. That's what it did, the resurrection. And then what does is, what is Jesus say in verse 21? Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, and here, here, here's the main point right here. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So as I wrap up part one, I want you to notice two words. Peace and breathe. Now, interestingly, the Greek word for peace is the equivalent word that the Hebrews had for peace, which is shalom. And what Jesus is doing is he's saying, because of my resurrection, because of my death and resurrection, I have now ushered in shalom. And so peace be with you. Shalom be with you. Total flourishing be with you. And because of the resurrected Jesus, he is now able to bring calmness in the midst of chaos, order in the midst of unraveling, reconciliation in the midst of division, certainty in the midst of uncertainty, health in the midst of sickness, harmony in the midst of discord, peace in the midst of war, flourishing in the midst of dysfunction, and good in the midst of that which is bad. And when he says, peace be with you, this is what's so fascinating, is Jesus is connecting this peace and this shalom to what God declared over creation in Genesis 1. After every day, God goes to work. He looks at his creation, and what does he say? It is good. 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 And on the last day, he looks at all of what he has made, and he says what? 
it is very good what are you saying there is shalom over the face of planet earth because everything is operating according to my plan the way i have made it the way i have purposed it it is functioning and flourishing according to who i am and what jesus is doing here is he's saying now because you are my followers because you are my people you have shalom because i am i am bringing about new creation but not only does he say peace be with you but what does he do he breathes on them and he says receive the holy spirit now once again what john is doing he is connecting jesus back to creation because what you have in genesis 2 god has formed adam from the dust of the ground and the bible says god hovered over adam that laid there lifeless just as the spirit of god hovered over the face of the deep in genesis 1 but here in genesis 2 god hovers over adam and the bible says he breathes on adam the breath of life and adam becomes a living being and so what you have here when Jesus, he breathes on his disciples and says, receive the spirit. He is awakening them to be fully alive after his image and his likeness. His disciples at that point become new creatures in Christ, fully alive, just as Adam became fully alive when God breathed on them. And so what John is doing, and you cannot miss this church because we are part of it. John is talking about how Jesus, he ushers in new creation through his death and his resurrection he is ushering in new creation and so here as I wrap up this point let me ask you two questions have you received the peace the shalom that Jesus came to bring because that peace it will it will create calmness in the midst of chaos certainty in the midst of uncertainty rest in the midst of a world of unrest do you have that peace and then have you received the breath of God to be fully alive? Have you received God's breath to become fully alive? Because when his peace and his breath come on and in our lives, it changes everything. All right, you grab a seat, part two. We're going to unpack the statement that Jesus gives his disciples as the Father has sent me, so now do I send you. Now, I want you to think about the song we just sang. I will build my life upon your love. It is a sure, it is a firm foundation. Church, don't miss this. To build your life on Jesus is to be sent on God's mission. So we sing these songs, build my life. But I want you to realize that if you build your life on Jesus, you will be sent on God's mission. They are one and the same. And what Jesus is saying to his followers, as the Father has sent me, he sent me on mission. And the same mission that the Father has sent me on, now I'm going to send you on. So there are at least seven things that Jesus was sent to do that he is sending us back in the world to do. Now, but, but just on a side note, and I'm going to go buck wild in a couple of weeks. I said that at nine. I am going to go buck wild when I preach on Acts 1. But notice what comes after the statement. 
As the Father has sent me, so now am I sending you. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That's why here the Holy Spirit is very, very important to Northland Church because we cannot live sent. We cannot fulfill what God has placed us here to do unless the Spirit of God is filling us and empowering us to do so. So the Spirit has to breathe on us. That's the reason why I want to be a spirit-empowered preacher. Because here's the thing. I know I'm loud. I know sometimes I speak really fast. But here's the thing that I want to make sure happens. That the spirit of God fills me so that the spirit of God goes out. That's what I want to make sure. So seven things Jesus was sent to do that he is sending his people out in the world to do filled with the spirit. Number one, I'm going to go fast because I'm going to hit these over the course of the next several weeks. Number one, we are sent to dwell among people so that they can behold God's glory. John 1. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. That, that word dwelling means tabernacled. And, and what, what is so fascinating is that throughout scripture from the beginning in Genesis all the way to the end in Revelation, God has always intended to bring heaven to earth. He's always intended to dwell among his people. There he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. Well, when they got kicked out, then Israel, uh, they set up a tabernacle where God's presence dwelt when they were in the wilderness. But later when they got to the promised land, they created a temple and God's presence dwelt among his people. Now in John 1, Jesus is the tabernacle of God. He is the temple of God. He is God incarnate. When you saw Jesus, you beheld the glory of God And now you say, Josh, where's the temple? Where's the tabernacle? It's the people of God. It's us. And so when it comes to dwelling, there there are at least three things that I want you to notice about, about dwelling, about tabernacling. Tabernacling speaks of immersion and identification. I want you to think about Jesus. He dove into a specific time, place, and people. He wove himself into the ebb and flow of culture and society. He wore the clothes. He worked a job. He spoke a language. He knew their cultural values. He was aware of the environmental context. He understood the people. He understood what their desires were. He understood what they needed. So immersion into a place and a people means that the church will never isolate herself from the larger culture. And then tabernacling also speaks of proximity. Jesus was near. God was near. Emmanuel, God with us. Listen to this principle, church. The further the church is from the intersection of people's lives, the harder it will be to touch the intrinsic needs of their heart. If we're not in close proximity, hey, amen, how can an absent father be effective? He's absent. How can you, how can you be an effective husband if you're always absent, if you're never present? See, God is present He's present in the world, and he is present in the world through his church. And then tabernacling, it actually speaks of incarnating. Uh, Jesus, he was the incarnate God, God in flesh. We are the body of Christ, the presence of Christ in the world. So when the world looks at the church, they should see the radiant glory of God. 
That's what we're sent. We are sent to dwell among people so that they can behold God's glory. Number two, we are sent to preach repentance so that people can change their minds about God. So Matthew 4, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now I know this is where the larger culture has a problem with the church. Just don't proselytize and try to convert us. Uh huh. But when they say that, they are hypocrites. And the reason why they are hypocrites is it's so funny that the larger culture gives the church a hard time about proselytizing, yet they do the same thing. What do you think commercials, social media ads, marketing campaigns, and political campaigns are all about? They are all about getting people to change their minds and buy into what these people are selling. Businesses, corporations spend hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars to promote their products and their platform and invite people to, to buy what they are selling. Hey, we should, church, we should never apologize for inviting people to change their minds about God. My definition of evangelism is inviting people into the good news story of King Jesus who is in the process of making all things new. Now think about it. We are inviting people into receive forgiveness, to have a clean and new slate, to have their shame and guilt wiped away, to become a new creation, to receive a new power, to become part of a new family, to experience freedom from the enslavement of living harmful ways, uh, to experience transformation, to bask in unconditional love, to receive eternal life, to have unspeakable joy, to experience calm and chaos, to be part of something even bigger than themselves. That's what we're inviting people into when we ask them to change their mind, to repent of their sin, and to place their faith and trust in King Jesus. All right, now I'm going to say a statement, and I want you to, I want you to buckle up for this one. If we don't preach repentance, we will love people to hell. And that ain't very loving. Number three. We are sent to teach on the kingdom so that people will know how to live for God. We are sent to teach on the kingdom so that people will know how to live for God. Matthew 5, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And what Jesus is educating his people about is what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. This is how you live in God's kingdom. And, and, and I just want you to know this, you know, kind of hear it this way. God's kingdom is not about tweaking or adjusting what it means to be human. It's about turning what we think is human upside down. It's revolutionizing our life of what we think we should be and what we should be doing. This is why when Jesus teaches, teach or taught, teach, taught, teach, whatever. That's why when Jesus taught, he would say, this is how you ought to pray. He would also say, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable for judgment. You are to love, you've, you've heard it said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, whoever does the will of my father, that's my family. He says, don't worry, God loves you, God cares for you, so therefore seek first his kingdom. He teaches where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. He teaches that the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in the field. A man comes along, uncovers this treasure in this field that he doesn't own, so he covers it back up. He goes and sells all that he has so that he can buy that field. Uh, Jesus teaches that every 
everyone who hears his words and puts them into practice, he's like a wise person that builds his house on a rock. So we must, we must be able to teach what it means to be part of the kingdom of God, to live out the kingdom life. Here's the principle. Failure to educate on what it means to be a Christian will lead to a failed mission. I think that's one of the reasons why the church is failing today in the U.S. is because we have failed to teach the church what it means to be a Christian, a child of the king, living out the rule and reign of God on planet earth. And then number four, we are sent to demonstrate signs and wonders so that people can get a glimpse of God's kingdom. So in Matthew, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed and he healed them. Let me ask you church, how are we demonstrating the inbreaking kingdom of God? Because what does it look like when God's kingdom comes to town? Well, think about it. When God's kingdom came to town over 2,000 years ago, Jesus healed the sick, mended the broken, cured the disease, raised the dead, helped the hurting, served the poor, cared for the vulnerable, fed the hungry, clothed the naked, reconciled divisions, welcomed the stranger, touched the unclean, counseled the confused, and calmed the storm. And so we are the inbreaking kingdom of God now in the 21st century. Therefore, at least in our midst, at least in our midst, in our community, in our Northland church community, there should be no sick. There should be no poor. There should be no hurting, no vulnerable or marginalized. There is no stranger among our midst. There's no unclean, no confusion, no hungry, nor broken. There is no hatred or division because we are exercising a unity that is only brought about by the kingdom of God. In Northland, you have to realize that we are an embassy. We are an embassy of the kingdom, meaning when the world peers into our our little embassy here called Northland Church, they ought to see and get a glimpse and a taste of glory divine. They ought to peer into our community. They ought to peer into how we love. They ought to peer into how we care for one another and see the inbreaking kingdom of God. So they should see. Because we are sent to demonstrate the signs and the wonders so that people can get a glimpse of the kingdom of God. God, that's what we pray, that we would be a church where people can just get a taste, just a glimpse of what you inaugurated, what you started at Jesus' first coming through his death and his resurrection. My name there we're getting there all right I got part three so I need you to sit down for five minutes we will we will sing again I told you we we shaking things up (laughs) shaking big baby shaking baby that's that's the tabernacling presence of God we're just speaking the language all right shaking big shaking big baby but but think about what we're just saying speak the name of Jesus to speak Jesus is to live sent If you're going to speak Jesus, you're going to live sent. So these are the last three ways Jesus was sent and that he sends us out. And I'm going to give them to you. And then we're going to come back and sing. Number five, we are sent to search for the lost so that they may be found. 
Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Throughout redemptive history, God has always searched for those who were lost. Lost people do not find God. God finds lost people. He found, he found Adam, found Abraham, he found Nineveh, he found Babylon, and then when Jesus is coming, he found humanity. And in Jesus' ministry, he goes to wells, trees, homes, food lines, sides of the road, funerals, pools, and surrounding regions. Here's a principle, church. Don't miss this. We don't ask the lost to come find us. We go out and find the lost. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need to invite people into what God is doing here. Hey, you need to come check out. You need to come check out Northland. It's just amazing what God's doing. I'm not saying don't do that. But when we are sent out, God is using you to find lost people. We are the search and rescue party for God. Number six. This is, just nudge your neighbor. Be ready for this one. Yeah, exactly. We are sent to give up our life so that the life of others may be raised up. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then months ago, I preached on John 13, the ministry of the towel, being a towel holder. Jesus says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Let me ask you, this is convicting for me. How are you serving? What's your sacrifice look like? Your time, your talents, your treasure. What, what are you giving up in order to elevate others? I mean, because that's what Jesus did. That's how he came. He was sent to give up his life so that he might raise up the life of others. Now, here's some, here's some principles. All right, get ready for these principles. The gift of your sacrifice reveals the greatness of your Savior. And then the measure of your sacrifice reveals the significance of your mission. Could it be that the reason why the world does not see that we serve a great Savior is because we give little to him and his people and the world? And then mission. Like the whole purpose of this series is to paint this picture that God has been on mission since the very beginning. And so we are part of something significant. It just doesn't even date 2,000 years ago. No, Jesus was the fulfillment of what God was laying the foundation for. This is what God has been doing. This is what God's going to do for all eternity is to redeem a people from all peoples, to reflect his glory in all spheres of life. And the measure of your sacrifice will reveal the significance of your mission. And then number seven, we are sent to send out followers so that the world might know there is a God in heaven. So this is what I, I'm, I'm getting ready to give you a commercial for early 2023. You're like, Josh, you're already thinking about 2023. Yes, <laughs> because what we're doing right now is we're laying the foundation. I cannot wait to share with you how we are already doing but how we're also going to be doing even more about all of these ways that we are sent. So how are we sending people? Well, you gotta wait for 2023 because I'd love to tell you more of how we're going to be sending. But